All right, what's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is the Good Morning Liberty Podcast live at Freedom Fest in South Dakota. My name is Nate Thurston. This is Charlie Thompson. And right here, we have a very special guest, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, who you guys know was the nominee for President of the United States for the Libertarian Party and now President of People for Liberty. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> Have you been enjoying Freedom Fest so far? Well, I'm going to start enjoying it now because I just <laughs> finished the keynote speech. So now, now I can now I can go and listen to everybody else. Are, are you just ready to speak anytime? Are you just so used to it now that you don't oh, think about it anymore? Well, keep in mind, I'm a teacher. I teach hmm. at Clemson University and I teach the large auditorium classes. So several times a week I speak before 250 students. So, okay. yeah, that's my full time job is speaking, basically. Talk a little bit about your, um, you know, your teaching background and, and the psychology and and how that maybe helps you shape uh, your political views or anything like that. And it didn't really shape my political views. Uh, in fact, I didn't receive my PhD until I was 45 years old, and then started teaching a few years later. But I think it does help me better to connect with people and to explain the message. Like for instance, I've had a lot of people compliment me on how I explain immigration. And the way I explain immigration is that I'm the granddaughter of immigrants. Three of my grandparents immigrated to this country. And I talk about it in those terms and how I want an immigration policy that was similar to the early 1900s when my grandparents came over. And I do that because I know a lot of people are fearful for having you know, open immigration because it's something they're not familiar with. And, you know, people mistakenly say, well, psychologists say that people are afraid of change. Actually, they're not afraid of change. They're afraid of the uncertainty. So that I know by talking about how we've done this before, my grandparents did it 100 years ago, that it would be less fearful for people. So I know maybe a little bit more about how to frame issues. And by the way, now, and I'm not saying I manipulate or I lie. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly... Um, my story and what I would say, but I try to phrase it in a way that people will be more receptive. It's just articulating the message so they can better exactly. understand. Exactly. And right. in a way that you don't turn them off immediately when you start talking. Because <laughs> if you if you say something and it, and it just, it, say you, uh, well, we'll talk about this with political parties here in a minute, but you mentioned political party and people's brain can just turn off to the idea because it's not their team. Or if you uh, if you say, well, we want, we, we want to open the border, we want to bring everyone right. in. Well, well, then they get scared, and and maybe their brain shuts off. Do anything else you have right. to say after that. And libertarians are really good at scaring people right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> Let me tell you. And I did that in the 90s when I was running for U.S. House. So I, I was a typical libertarian when I started, and now I try to be more customer-oriented. To And again, not as a way to be underhanded, but to say, okay, this is best for you. Let me see how this can help your life instead of talking about, I love freedom, I love liberty, you must, you know, here's my philosophy, don't you love it? Which, you know, if you're trying to sell a product, mm -hmm. <laughs> whether right. it's cars or computers or liberty, you need to be customer focused on what they want. That's just common sense. You can't be like a condescending, I'm a better libertarian than you are. <laughs> oh my gosh, another problem we have. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, like you said, libertarians are really bad at doing that. They, when they come out, they'll say, uh, for instance, we might agree on in the Fed. 
In the Fed. Well, when you say that, you can actually scare a lot of people because, okay, what would, what would replace that? We've been talking a lot about that lately, that what if we agreed that we didn't like the Fed and we wanted it to eventually be gone? What if that's not the best conversation topic to start with for people in the first right. place? <laughs> you got to know your audience. But at least that's still a step better because they're saying end the Fed. I remember when people were saying abolish the Fed. Mm. I mean, talk about a <laughs> word that, you know, it just like slaps you in the face. Yeah. No. And, and that's what I did when I ran for Congress. You know, abolish the Department of Education and abolish Social Security. And then I would tell people I'm for freedom. And I just mentioned in my keynote speech that people, you know, their eyes would glaze over and they'd say, well, we're the freest country on earth. You know, it's like mm -hmm. I was selling what I wanted, not what they wanted. Right. Well, one thing that we we talk about a lot, and I think you did a great job of this, which is that we, we agree on a lot of these end goals. But for instance, uh, just say Medicare, Social Security, all that. You can scare a lot of people when you say yes. end it. What we, I don't even think it would be fair to remove all of those Me things. Me neither. First and, and I was heavily criticized by especially one of the other candidates <laughs> who was running, but a couple of them who wanted to end Social Security on January 1st, you know, because mm. it's not their money. I look at it as it is their money. <laughs> and by the way, instead of going into this lockbox that Al Gore talked about, <laughs> it's gone into buying expensive downtown buildings and national parks. And so how about let's sell the stuff that their money paid for and give them their money back so they can have a safe retirement from a private security, um, you know, some kind of private insurance company, who, by the way, would be um, jailed for running the kind of Ponzi scheme that Social <laughs> Security is running. Right. Well, and you talk about, you know, it's their money because that's what they believe, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's their my dad yep. says it all the time. Like, I put all the money in. Like, that. this is what I'm right. getting now. And, and it's like... Most people, even libertarians, I would suspect, although, you know, now being a Ph.D., of course, I love empirical data, so I haven't <laughs> seen the empirical data. But I would bet you most libertarians, when they file their income taxes every year, if they have a refund, they don't say, oh, no, no, you keep it. I bet <laughs> you they say, no, that's my money. I gave it to you. Right. Exactly. And probably when they they probably accepted their stimulus checks over the last year as well. <laughs> yes. In fact, now that I mention it, OK, it's a year late. But that's what I should have asked the person who kept attacking me. I should have asked him, have you ever taken <laughs> a, a, a refund check from your income tax? How's your stimmy check? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we, it's always, you know, it's the stairway effect, whatever. It's always when you're walking down the stairs after a debate that you remember, oh, yeah, here's the good line I should have used. So, so you ran for Congress in the 90s. You ran. And MVP, right? And MVP. Mm -hmm. And then you, you ran as the, the presidential nominee in uh, 2020. Uh -huh. So I want you to talk a little bit about the campaign, but also. What's the number one thing you've learned, uh, especially traveling? You guys went to 35 states, I believe, 38 states. What, what's the number one thing you learned? And then talk a little bit about that experience. I would say it's that we have an overwhelming support from veterans and that they see what's going on over there. And a lot of people don't realize that when Ron Paul was running for president, he got more donations from soldiers overseas than all the other candidates put together. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were scratching their heads going, but they're the military. They should, but, but no, it, it's the military who have the firsthand account. And so I learned about that firsthand account and 
I, I, pretty much every stop I made, there were veterans, multiple veterans. Whereas some stops I might have teachers, some I might have people who have concerns about mental illness or people have concerns about retirement, whatever. But every stop, veterans. Um, and I just wanted to say, you guys had a, a campaign commercial that was about ending the end of war, the ending the wars, oh, bringing everyone fantastic. home. I literally, I think anytime I watch it, uh, there's I'm fighting back tears yep. when I watch it. It was yep. it was one of the most effective and, and amazing commercials I've yep. ever seen. We need more of that and when it comes to so when it comes to being the political the political campaigns what i'm wondering is what you're doing right now with people for liberty how does that differ from working within a political party where you're working for the uh, working for the party to now doing what you're doing at people for liberty well first let me say the purpose in my doing this and trust me i would have loved a vacation after the campaign <laughs> but i had all these twitter followers and facebook followers we had a movement going uh, a lot of people don't realize, you know, they might hear, yeah, I came in second in the history, history of the Libertarian Party, but they don't think of it in terms of my first run, I beat Gary Johnson's first run, and he was a two-term governor. Mm -hmm. I've never been elected to office. So that shows that there's this overwhelming support for the ideas. You don't have to have a big name. The ideas are that good. And so we gathered so much steam we don't want to have happen what's happened in the past, which is people hear about libertarians presidential election year, and then they don't hear about them for four years, and then they hear about them again. So I want to take that movement and keep it going so that we don't have to restart and have that dip. So that's our purpose in doing that and spreading the message to get just a bigger coalition. And to give you an example of what we do, uh, like, like he, here's an example of an operation. Uh, we've got different Facebook groups, Veterans for Liberty, Second Amendment for Liberty, Christians for Liberty. And on Easter, I wished everybody a happy Easter, as well as other holidays, by the way. And so anybody who liked happy Easter uh, we're invited to join the Christians for Liberty to try to get like-minded people together sharing ideas and seeing how to succeed. That is a really good strategy. Now, do you have? Uh, I'm so I'm I'm so interested in the technical aspect of that. Do you have people going through doing that? You know, they they just spend all day. Oh, this person did that, so I'm going to invite them to this group. You know, I yeah. am the least technical person, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. It's magic behind the curtains. Yeah. Uh -huh. So you would have to ask Dan Fishman, and that's what's so exciting about our group as well. Is Dan Fishman was executive director of the National Libertarian. Mm -hmm party did an excellent job and he's now executive director of our group so i interviewed I him yesterday morning actually oh we should have asked uh, him I, <laughs> I didn't think about it then and I, I wish i would have but you mentioned your easter tweet yeah he also told me some ridiculous feedback that you got from the easter tweet whenever you tweeted that out maybe that people were upset that you were mentioning a yeah. Christian holiday or something like that. Yeah. Why are libertarians so bad the, when it Those comes are the to woke this? libertarians. And, <laughs> and this gets back to, and I, I'm sure you guys didn't catch my talk today, and, and I hope at some time you can hear it. And I may have ruffled a few feathers, but I don't care. We've got way too much infighting. And it's like, since when is it unlibertarian to be a Christian? Yeah. You know, it, it, we, in fact, that's the whole point of libertarianism is we get choice. We can choose to be a Christian. 
we can choose to be Jewish. We, and, and I realize, and I don't mean to take religion lightly because, you know, many people, of course, they were born into a religion and they, mm -hmm. they don't see it as a choice. But the point is, is that the government hasn't taken that choice away and said, okay, everybody needs to be of this, uh, you know, King of England church or like Soviet Union atheist. You know, you can't have any religion. And so... Let's use the freedoms we have. Yeah, and if you want to argue about religion, that's in a different realm. You know, if right. you disagree with Christianity or Judaism or whatever, it doesn't mean that they, it, you know, now, now they're excluded from the Libertarian Party because right. they have certain beliefs. And you know, and, and if you think about it, Christianity is a somewhat um, libertarian religion with do unto others, mm -hmm. um, just like Taoism is. Where you know you don't uh, you don't tell the people how to live, you live and let live. So and it's volu think, uh, voluntarily giving to the poor. You know, volu yes, volunteer. which does much better. Yes. Than I the was government. told that Jesus was a socialist. Actually, that's, that's what I heard. <laughs> yeah. well, but see, that's the thing. I believe that families should be socialist. And in psychology, we talk about the difference between a communal and an exchange relationship. So you don't want to have a relationship. In fact, do you mind if I just quote some psychology here? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we love, we love psychology. Daniel Gilbert, who wrote the book Stumbling on Happiness, gives this example of, he says, imagine I go to my in-law's house for Thanksgiving dinner. You know, we're all sitting around the table. We've just finished eating. Uh, I sit back, unbuckle my belt, of course, and I lean back and I say to my mother-in-law, that was an excellent dinner. How much do I owe you for it? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's not how you run a family. However, that is how you run going to the dentist, buying office supplies, or any, you know, paying rent or anything like that. So I strongly believe that families should be socialist and that, you know, give, you know, you okay, want to actually what's the, do what's the communist thing to, from each other according uh, to their ability to each other yeah. according to their needs yes i mean you've got a little two-year-old it's like you're not going <laughs> to expect the two-year-old to pay their way so yeah. and and if somebody gets sick and you know there's so many heart you know heartwarming stories about how you know stories about how a parent changed the diapers on the baby and then when the baby grows up to an adult now they're changing the diapers mm -hmm. on their parent that's very socialistic yeah, it is a little bit transactional though in the same way. It's, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Because I have some family members who didn't make the right transactions and they're not allowed at the table anymore. So. <laughs> Socialism has its limits. <laughs> there, are, there are good comrades and bad comrades. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm just, I'm really interested in some of the, the actionable, the goals of people for liberty because we really want to be we don't just want to sit around and talk about how terrible right. everything is anymore. Right. We have to take steps to actually changing things. Right. And what you're doing first is you're, you are getting people together, yep. which there is great. There is a second part. Yeah. Yes. Well, first of all, we are a grassroots organization, and that's the whole point. And it's the only grassroots or it's the only organization, libertarian organization, which is which is trying to start a grassroots movement to do something. Like, for instance, uh, well, we know Reason and Cato, they're very research and publication-oriented. And Advocates for Self-Government, which I love, I went to their retreat in the 90s, and it really changed a lot of my philosophies. They're more educational, but we're actually about action. And so let me give you two, or two examples. We had the, the Libertarian National Day of Service, in which... Uh, on May 1st, by the way, 
May Day, the communist birthday. <laughs> We're like, okay, let's take back May Day from the communists. And we asked people all over the country, and there were over a thousand people who did this, said, help in your local community. See what you can do to help voluntarily so that other people can see you don't need the government. And we did have groups with um, media, get media attention and some people on TV in their local community spreading the word that we don't need the government. The second thing is we've got liberty on the border with the southern border crisis. I mean, Joe, I, I think everybody would agree. Okay, maybe not a diehard Democrat, but even mm -hmm. Democrats now, I think his approval rating for the border has now mm -hmm. gone down below 50%. So Joe Biden has totally messed up the border. It has become a humanitarian crisis. And so uh, People for Liberty is organizing groups to actually go down there and help. And again, to show that just because the government do, doesn't do it doesn't mean it doesn't get done. In fact, people working together can do a much better job than the government. That actually helps make the point when we make our arguments about how we don't need the government to do these things. Look, people would do this. You yep. see, there's already people doing this. So people will do this if you let them. Yep. And, and it's funny because the opposite is true, too. Have you heard these stories about Democrats who, you know, like there was... Hill, Bill and Hillary Clinton, who, when they donated Bill's old clothes, do you remember the story? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. They no. donated his old clothes to, I don't know, some kind of charity, you know, Salvation <laughs> Army, whatever. And she was charged, I forgot what it was, so don't quote me on the numbers, but like a dollar per pair of underpants and all the, like, like taking these deductions, which are a bit unreasonable. And then there was another rather famous uh, Democrat, and I don't remember the name, so I'm not going to even try to guess, who had donated, I mean, you know, somebody who would make hundreds of thousands of dollars donating like a thousand dollars or something mm -hmm. to charity. So, you know, that just shows that, you know, basically these people are not charitable, they're not giving, and, and they're not... They don't give unless they're forced to. So you get someone, they, someone they, like Bernie, right? How but, much yeah, Bernie donate? Sanders, yeah. when he talked about his taxes. Oh. Yeah, he know. donated a 0.1% or so right. of his of his income to I think charity. It was $5,000 $5, He took all the deductions like that. that he possibly could. That's you know? exactly. His effective tax rate was like 13%, and yeah. he made over a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, and I teach happiness at Clemson, and one thing that makes people happier is helping others. And I'm sure we've, oh, mm -hmm. here we go back to Christianity. You know, it's better to give than receive, mm -hmm. which I guess has turned into rather universal now, not just Christian. Uh, that's kind of, you know, an old adage. Well, we find in research that it's true, that people are happier, you know, when they help out at a soup kitchen or whatever. And now when the money is being forcibly taken from their paycheck, they're being robbed of that. And I always felt bad for the high school students who had mandatory volunteerism, like they were forced to go work at a soup kitchen. They probably, you know, it was, oh, I got to do this, and then probably didn't like it as much as if it were their own free will. You know, we get back mm -hmm. to libertarianism and autonomy. It left a bad taste in their mouth. <laughs> left a, Exactly. And then, you know, didn't want to do it again. And so uh, the, the government is basically robbing us of of feeling like 
we can make those choices to help people and give us that satisfaction that, that, that makes us feel good. Well, and perhaps is that what people, I, I say left, it could be both sides, but a lot of people on the left, perhaps is that what they are doing when they're advocating? They're, search, they're trying to find that happiness of giving, but they don't want to give themselves. And so they, <laughs> they feel virtuous when they say, well, we need to spend money on the poor and we oh. need to, we need to tax the rich because it's unbelievable. And we got to, right. you know, they want to, they, they, is it, is it a psychologically? Is it something right. that that ends that they want? They feel like they're helping. Right. Well, two points for the average American. I think a lot of them have the mentality of I gave at the office. You know, they already took my taxes out, so I have less money, so I don't have as much money to give. But politicians do feel like it's their money that they're handing out. And in fact, I don't know if you saw this recent clip of Joe Biden where um, somebody was complaining about how he had shut down their, oh, oh, how, you know, they're still giving money to people who now don't want to work in these restaurants because they're getting paid more to stay at home. Mm. And so some, a business owner was complaining about that. And Biden replied something like, well, but I'm the one who kept you open, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like he's writing a check out Thank of his back pocket. Thank you, sir, for allowing or, me to, to right. stay free or, or to or, allow me to stay open. Or like the Obama phones. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. Like, like what? Obama's going to reach in his back pocket, write a check to get everybody a phone? No. Yeah. Well, wasn't that, that was a website that already existed, right? And they had actually forwarded uh, the, the Obama phone, whatever it was, for the, yeah. the URL to a, a website, I believe, that was started under Clinton at that time in the 90s, I think. So uh, yeah, it was already a program that existed uh, from, from what I heard, and that could... Uh, that could have well, been misinformation. We well, well, I would like to point out, we didn't have too many phones, cell phones in the 90s. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, probably I had a right. cell phone in the late 90s because I ran my own business and I went mm -hmm. to school. But I can tell you, being on a college campus as a student, I noticed that cell phones exploded around 2000, 2001. But yeah, it doesn't mean that it couldn't have yeah. gotten started in the 90s. But yeah, it's, it's, it's them taking credit. And Nancy Pelosi is the same way. She's always got this air of, you should be so fortunate that I'm giving this to you. Yes. Oh. I, I've got one uh, one last thing here because I know we'll need to wrap up. But you said that you teach, uh, you talk about happiness a lot, right? Well, our tagline on the show is life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Uh, we we switch from happiness to meaning. And we, we find, and uh, we've heard other people talk about this as well, that you will find happiness if you have the meaning in your life. And I think what you're also talking about is people are being robbed of their life being mm -hmm. given meaning by being able to give to other people, uh, people who aren't working and creating things and creating right. value in society. They're not, they don't have that meaning in their lives that, that makes them feel right. happy. And that, and that meaning creates an environment where you can feel happy. A lot, a lot of times. So uh, we, we just thought, I don't know, I don't know why exactly we change it from happiness to meaning, but that's what we try to pursue. Well, because uh, yeah. happiness can be fleeting, right? Like you, you can do everything right and, and your father can pass away, for right. instance, you know, and like you're not going to be happy in that moment. Well, not in that moment, although mm -hmm. luckily, and see, now you're asking academic <laughs> questions to an academician. So, you know, yeah. I could give you a 20 minute answer just for that little bit, but uh, yes, unfortunately, if you have a death, and, and they've done research, for instance, on parents who have lost their children, and that's got to be, you know, I'm a mother, oh, yeah. that's got to be the worst mm -hmm. uh, you know, thing that can happen to you, the biggest tragedy. And what they find is that 
yes, parents' happiness does go back up, not quite as high as it was before, but it goes much higher than most people think because most parents mm -hmm. are like, oh, I'll never get over this. But to answer your question now about meaning, so that really applies back to the children, to having children. So mm -hmm. an interesting study, they had people wear beepers where they would, you know, the, I'm, not, I'm sure they would do it with cell phones, but they would every, you know, a few times a day beep in and ask them, how happy are you right now? You know, scale of one to seven. And what they discovered is that parents were less happy than people who didn't have parents. Ah. And in fact, the happiest time in a person's life tends to be from the time they get married until the time they have children. But let me quickly add, okay, so the reason, because <laughs> I, I don't want to just, I do not want to discourage libertarians from having babies. We need to populate the earth. But what's going on is a lot of child rearing is work. If you're changing diapers, if you're feeding the kid, that's kind of like washing dishes and doing the floor, it's a chore. But that's like the hedonic happiness. But if they look at a different kind of happiness, and there's something like 246 definitions of happiness, if they look at meaning, like the happiness you get from meaning, then yes, parents are a lot happier than people without children. So, so going from happiness to meaning, that fits right in with what we know about uh, literature on raising kids. And that kind of fits into that um, um, agape love, right? The, like, right, the different kinds of love. Yes, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. I, have to, I know we have to wrap up, but I have to mention that um, my wife wanted me to tell you okay. that she was very honored to be able to vote for a woman in the 2020 election, mm -hmm. not just because she was a woman, but because she was a woman that had a, a great platform and principled stances. So I had to mention it. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> well, please tell her I'm honored to have received her vote. And that's what a lot of people would ask me questions like, how is it as a woman to, and I'm like, look, I'm just here to do a job. Right. In fact, somebody, somebody asked me uh, in an interview, well, a few times in an interview, so have you had any obstacles being a woman instead of a man? And I said, no, but even if I did, I wouldn't tell you because I don't want to sound like a whiny Democrat. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she was drawing comparisons because in 2016, she was like, I'm not just going to vote for Hillary because she's a woman. Right. You know? Oh, despite <laughs> like, what Madeleine Albright said, exactly, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I'd like to go back to Madeleine Albright in 2020 and say, uh, Madeleine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right. You didn't mention yeah. me. <laughs> so. All right. Well, Dr. Jorgensen, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it was so much fun. Uh, I hope thank you have you a great rest of the day here at Freedom Fest. And we hope to talk to you again. Well, thanks so much. Take care.